Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. So it's on page 155 of the Bibles. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that, may, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This morning's second reading is from Revelation chapter 2. and We'll be reading from verse 1 through to verse 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of God. everybody. My name is Nick. I am your congregational pastor here at 10 a.m. It's a real privilege to, to stand up here and to open the word with you. Um, we finally made it. We're in this series of the letters to the church in Revelation, and we've seen an enormously glorious picture of Jesus, and now we're here, ready to get into these letters themselves. We're in the first letter to the church in Ephesus. There's seven letters total, and that number is a number of perfection, of completion, because these are not just letters given in the first century to some people back then, but they are a single letter to the global church through all of time. They're a letter to us. And we come to this letter to the church in Ephesus, and it is a letter that has one single idea that just shines out of it, and that is the idea of love the idea of love. God is love. At the, at the found, foundational reality of who God is, in 1 John we're taught, God is love. He gives so much of himself to the people of this world. He, he extends out with love and mercy to call people back to himself. God is love. And in the Old Testament, there is this consistent picture of God and his people, and it's a picture of marriage. It's a picture of union and intimacy, a relationship of great commitment and beauty. 
the, the scriptures talk about marriage as two becoming one, as if the God who is love will draw people to himself and become one with them and be committed to them and give so much of himself to them. The problem is not on God's side, but on our side. Have a look down with me again at verse four. This is, this is so strong. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, Jesus might be saying to you and I today, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Now we all know, or we've all seen, or we might have even experienced what a loveless marriage can be like. And it's, it's a place of brokenness. And it's one of the most heartbreaking pictures of relationship that we can find in this world, that what was once filled with beauty and love and, and this sense of closeness and intimacy, that it becomes a place of, of obligation, a place of duty, a place where we still turn up, but there's nothing behind it. That's the picture of what we're seeing here. A God who has given so much to his people, to you and to me, and a people who have lost that love for him, they still turn up, they still meet at church, they still do the things that they do, but they've given up on Jesus in everything that matters. I gotta ask you just point blank, do you love Jesus? Do you still love Jesus like you did when you first met him? Is Jesus the greatest treasure of your life? That's what God is speaking to us today. He's calling us back to a love that we once might have had, but we once, once might have lost as well. Now, when we come to these letters in Revelation, there's a structure that, that kind of keeps going through each one of the letters. There's four parts to each one of these letters. This is gonna be helpful for us as we go week after week and hear what God is speaking to us. There's four things. We're given a picture of Jesus. Jesus gives a commendation to the church, something that he sees and values. He issues a rebuke to the church to call them back to the way that he's called them to. And he finishes with a promise. Um, we're gonna come to the promise at the very end. But I just want you to see first, before we go any further, the picture of Jesus that's given to us. If you haven't got your Bible open, you're gonna want that. We're in Revelation 2 verse one. Here's what Jesus is shown to us as. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. We've learned that that is a picture of the church. Each lampstand represents one of each of these churches. Each of these stars in his hand is the angel of each of these churches. This is a picture of Jesus being present, being close, being near to his people. Not just the seven churches in the first century, but you and I right now, the church of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is right now standing beside us? holding onto us. But unlike that first picture we got of Jesus standing in the middle of the lampstands, you might have noticed here that it says, verse one, that he walks among the seven golden lampstands. If you go right back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, before sin enters the world and things are still in their, their initial beauty, there's this wonderful moment where it talks about humanity walking in the cool of the garden beside their God. Can you imagine to walk almost hand in hand with the infinite one who made you. 
That's the picture of what relationship with Jesus could be. And that's what we're seeing here. Jesus is walking with his church hand in hand. You and I are gonna face stuff in this world, but never doubt that Jesus is not there right beside you, walking with you, holding on to you. But he goes on to speak and Jesus immediately says, verse two, I know, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wickedness. I know, I know, I know. I don't know if you realize this, but the Jesus who is standing beside us, the Jesus who is enthroned in heaven, he knows everything about you. There is nothing that has escaped the sight of Jesus. In chapter one, he, was, he had eyes of blazing fire because he can see right to the depths of your very soul. And that is a beautiful truth, that if we are the church that he is walking beside, we never need fear that he doesn't see what is happening in our world, that he doesn't care about us at all because he knows us. But it's an important reality that we need to come to grips with is that you cannot hide anything from Jesus. We have to do business with God. I don't know who you are or what you're going through, but each one of you, each one of us is going to stand before the throne of God at the end of, of all this, this creation that we're living in now. And we're gonna need to give an account to him for everything that we've done, everything that we've thought, everything that we've ever said. Jesus sees it all. The question is, are we gonna do business with God right now as he offers us the love and, and affection and forgiveness that only he can give? Or are we gonna put that moment off until it's too late? and we have to stand on our own before him. Jesus is beckoning us closer. So that's the picture of Jesus. It's a Jesus who is present. It's a Jesus who is near. It's a Jesus who sees and who knows. And because he knows so much, he's able to speak into the life of this church in Ephesus. What does he say? He commends them. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people. That You've tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's a pretty solid commendation. If Jesus spoke those words over my life, I think I'd be cheering. I think I'd be so excited. Did you notice that he's got deeds? There's good deeds. This is a church that is doing good. This is a church that presumably is loving the poor, looking after the widows, caring for the vulnerable, loving one another in a way that, that's just so different from the world around them. They're doing good deeds, but there's also holiness there. Did you see that? He says, I know you cannot tolerate wicked people. A little bit further down towards the end in verse six, it says, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I'm terrified that that's where my name comes from, from these Nicolaitans that God hates, but I don't know about that. Someone help me out later. We don't actually know a lot about these people, but what we do know is that they are a people who have just been giving themselves over to a life of sexual immorality. And so Jesus is commending the people of Ephesus, saying, you have holiness. You care about being pure and living in, in splendor and light like I am. I love that about you. So, so they've got good deeds, they've got holiness, but they've got good theology, man. They, they know what to believe and they know how to believe it. Verse two, you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. They know the truth so well that when people come and bring something to them, they can say, no, that's not the Jesus that I believe in. That's not the church that I have been brought part of. That's, that's not right. You, you need to get out of here. They have good theology. They understand their Bible and even more, they, they persevere. 
They've got endurance. Verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and they haven't grown weary. They've got good deeds. They've got holiness. They've got theology. They've got endurance. I wonder if you're feeling a little bit rebuked right now that perhaps we don't even look like this church. When I see a church that's suffering every single day to follow Jesus, it makes me think, am I bold enough? When I see Jesus commending them for good deeds, I think, am I doing the good deeds that that God is calling me to do? This is a church that seems to be spiritually alive. You would walk into this church and you'd be like, wow, there is something significant and special about these people. And yet we get to the rebuke. Verse four, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You can be all of the things that you want to be as a believer. But if you lose the love that you had at first for Jesus, you have nothing. It's terrifying. It's a terrifying picture that you have abandoned, you have forsaken. This is strong language. They've deserted the Jesus who died for them. They're doing so much for God, but have no love for him. And I I want you to feel the emotion here. This This is Jesus speaking. Can you imagine standing before your spouse and say, you don't love me anymore. You've completely deserted me. You do all the right things. You say all the right things. You're still here, but you don't care about me at all. We need the love of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's speaking to a church that has so much going on. I'll, I'll just read it to you. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Do you still love Jesus? You're here in church. You're doing things for God. But do you still love Jesus? Do you still have that that fire alive within you that cares more about God than about this world? Do you still love Jesus? The the thing that that makes me so afraid as I read these these words is this church probably thinks that they are in love with Jesus. This church probably thinks that it's faithful, that it's doing everything that it needs to. They've got holiness, they've got theology, they've they've got everything, right? And yet Jesus just with his eyes of blazing fire sees right to the heart and he rebukes them with the most important rebuke of all. You don't actually have me anymore. This is a Christless church. I've got to ask us, are we a Christless church? I don't think so. I do think that the love of Jesus is is at the center of who we are as a church. I feel it every Sunday that I'm here, but don't move too quickly. Don't walk past this rebuke as if it's for someone else and not for you. You can seem to have it all together and you can even be lying to yourself and you need to hear the word of Jesus so clearly. Have you forsaken the love that you had at first? 
When Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, he says this. This is, this is profound. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. There's this this real reality that we might stand before Jesus one day and say, Lord, I I called on your name every single day. I did so many things for your sake. I, I, I got rid of demons. I did miracles on your behalf. And Jesus looks into us and says, away from me, I never knew you. There's one thing that you need in this world and that is to know and love Jesus, nothing else. Everything else is a bonus. You need to see Jesus and to love Jesus and to give your life over to him. So I gotta ask you, what, what is the state of your relationship of, with Jesus? What is, what is the current status of your connection and intimate relationship with Jesus? And actually helpful, it's, it's good to work out what is it that your mind goes to when I ask that question. When I ask you about your relationship with Jesus, what do you think about? Do you think, oh, have I sinned much lately? Did I do that thing that I know I'm not supposed to do? Um, oh, I don't know, um, have I done any good lately? Have I given enough money away? Have I been a good Christian? Have I shown myself to be faithful? Um, you know, how has my Bible reading been? I haven't been praying very much, so therefore I'm, I'm not doing too good with Jesus. What's my church attendance been like? I've only been, you know, two out of five this month. Maybe I'm not doing too good in my faith. Or I've been every week, and so now I'm soaring for Jesus, right? What is it that we evaluate ourselves with? Well, the only answer that there can be needs to be the answer of love. You can have a thriving spiritual life where you're reading your Bible every day and praying, but if there isn't a love for Jesus, we've missed the point. I think this church has embodied the reverse of what Jesus taught. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, heart, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This church is doing good. They are loving their neighbor as their self, but they have missed the most important part, to love God with all their being. You can only love your neighbor as yourself in a meaningful way if it's the overflow of your love for God. As you love people within this church, as you love people out in this world, you don't do it just because you care about people, you do it because you love God. You wanna serve Him, you wanna give all of yourself, heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's not enough to do good and to love people. We must love God with our whole being. And so I just, I hope we don't react too strongly to this. You know, this church has got good theology. It's got good deeds. It's got lots going on for it. And the danger for us is to go, okay, well, let's get rid of all of that so that we can just love God more. If we just got love, that's all we need. No, 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 no. Jesus commends them for all those things. He just says they're meaningless if there's no love. If we could be a church that right at its heart, that right at its core has a deep well of love for Jesus and from that place of love, these other things could flourish. They could grow from the soil of our faithful obedience and love for Jesus. If Jesus was at the center and then we loved our neighbor as ourselves, then we prized good theology and good teaching and and believed big, bold truths about God. If then we could endure hardship for his name, if it all came from love, that's the church that Jesus longs us to be. But we need to start with love. We need to start with love. 
I long for us to be a church that isn't just thoughtful, biblical, holy, and obedient. I long for a church that's passionate and joy-filled, a church that has relationship with Jesus, that it just oozes out of who we are, not necessarily in a big passionate display, but in that quiet sense of this is someone who has been with Jesus and who loves him. I do believe that is who we are as a church, but I do believe that God is calling us to repent if we haven't been like that. There's a call to us as individuals. Are we a people who have a deep love for Christ? I think it's so important here to say that love is so much more than a feeling. It's, it's so much more than just like a passionate whirlwind romance, right? Like anyone who's been married for more than a minute knows that it takes commitment. It takes, uh, it takes a, a resolve and a resilience to, to give yourself to someone despite the storms that may come. Um, I think too often we think of love in the rom-com sense of like, you know, it's raining and the guy had to take his shirt off because he got something on his shirt and then, you know, they're kissing as they build a house. I think that's the notebook, right? I don't know. I haven't seen it. I don't know. Anyways, that's kind of like this picture of love that we prize in our culture. But that's not the love that I think that God is speaking about here. Love is this, this commitment and unwavering resolve to be for Jesus and, and in love with Jesus no matter what comes. Now, I think feelings are a part of it. You can be in a marriage and still be committed to a person and committed to a household with complete lack of love. I think the difference there is, have we committed to fight for love even when we don't feel it? That's what we need when we come to Jesus. There are gonna be seasons in our life where perhaps we don't feel that passion or resolve or joy. That's natural, it happens. You read the Psalms and people go through some stuff. You're gonna go through some stuff. But that doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus. It means that you're committed to loving Jesus even when those storms come. I think we need to see marriage to Jesus and the love that we embody less like a storm that's brilliant and spectacular and here for a moment and more like the ocean, which is just unwavering. It's deep. It's always present. Yeah, there's tides. It comes in and it goes out. There's even storms that come upon the ocean, but the ocean is always there. That needs to be our love, that, that the state of our love for Jesus might ebb and flow, but the love is always at the core of who we are. But I need, to, I need you to see how eternally important this is. Look at verse five. As Jesus rebukes them and says, you have forsaken the love you had at first, he says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You will no longer be a church that embodies my name. Away from me, I never knew you. We rightly believe that we are only saved by the grace of Jesus. It's nothing that we do. It's everything that he has done for us. But if we lose our love for Jesus and our relationship with Jesus, we've left that grace out in the cold and we have it no longer. And Jesus is warning us. Jesus is warning you and Jesus is warning me. If you are someone who has deserted the love that you once had, it's time to repent time to turn back. We need to name it. We need to stop pretending like it's going well and when it's not. Just like a marriage that's on, on the rocks and isn't going well, if you just try and present a perfect face to the world and try and keep going in the way that you're doing, nothing will change. We need to, we need to name it. What does Jesus say? He says, consider how far you have fallen. You need to see where you once were to be able to do something about it. We need to name the fact that perhaps we have actually done more for God than had love for Him. 
We need to repent. This idea of repentance is, is to do more than just acknowledge the problem. It's to turn away from the problem and turn to Jesus again. Repent literally just means to turn. To turn from something and turn to something. We need to turn away from our lovelessness and to look again face to face with our Savior Jesus and rediscover what it means to be His. He says, repent and do the things you did at first. This can't just mean do more good deeds and be a good Christian because he's already talked about that and said, yes, you've got deeds, but you have no love. There's something else going on here. I think he's referring to those things that you did when you first found Jesus and first fell in love with him for the first time. Now, when I became a Christian, I was in year eight and I, my life was a mess. I, you know, year eight kids haven't got it together at the best of times, but I was, just, I was just a broken dude. But I met Jesus and I discovered his grace and there was a hunger within me. You look at my life, you would have thought, this guy just really does not have it together. But I was driven to be with God. I wanted to tell my friends about him. I wanted to go to church six times a day if I could. I was hungry for more of Jesus. There's no perfection there. There's no, not even necessarily holiness there. But when you discover who Jesus truly is, there's a love that drives you. It's like when you first start dating. There's just this, this like spark in the air. There's something beautiful here where you just, you just want to do anything you can for them. Jesus is saying, go back to the things you did at first. Rediscover your love and live out of that love. Come back to me. See me for all that I've done for you. Don't close your eyes and pretend like it's okay. Turn back and come. And then there's the promise. And this is where we need to go. If you're feeling at all convicted or, or like you've got some business to do with God, I need you to hear this, verse seven. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who is victorious, this isn't a suggestion that you will be victorious if you can be the most loving person in the world. Like that's not what Jesus is talking about. The victorious one is the one who is with Jesus. Jesus is the victor. We're just the people that come alongside him. It's when we have that love for Jesus that he says, that's when you are victorious. If you can contend with this world and come out the other side still in love with Jesus, you will be a victor. And what will you get? I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You'll be in paradise with God forever, eating from this tree that sustains you for all eternity. But, but don't miss how beautiful this is. It's not about living forever. It's this picture of the garden again, where you're with God face to face, walking alongside him. We're being restored to who we were made to be. We were made for God and to God we will return. And if we are of these victorious, we will eat from the tree of life and enjoy intimate perfection with God forever. It's a hard word. We need to do some soul work and really uncover the state of our love for Jesus. But there is a beautiful promise of life if we repent and turn back to him. I think the best thing that we can do is to just stop and, and to confess. Something we do in church consistently is just acknowledge that we're still sinful, we still stuff it up. And we still need the love of Jesus every single day. But particularly, I think this is a moment for us to confess perhaps where we've been loveless, where we haven't been fueled by our love for Jesus. So the words are gonna come up on the screen. I'd invite you to just say this together with me. Lord, our God, in our sin, we have avoided your call. Our love for you is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Have mercy on us. Deliver us from judgment. 
bind up our wounds and revive us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The beautiful truth is that whenever we come back to God with with repentance and a love for him, he will always forgive us. And so this promise is your promise. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Know that he's forgiven you and that he loves you as you return to him. Can I pray? Jesus, you are our greatest treasure. We, we love you. And we want to love you for our whole lives. Holy Spirit, you are the one who gave us faith. You are the one who opened our eyes to see Jesus. We pray that you might stir us even now to just give more and more of ourselves over to him, that we might live from a deep well of love, that we might return to him for those of us who have wandered, that we might find ourselves completely in him alone. We pray all this that he might get all the glory.